You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Yes, a YN or a tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet to get an isolation with the with the linebacker. Tell the tackle to take the defensive end if he's over him. If he's not, to drive down on the first man to his inside. Y N has the linebacker taken out. He cuts inside. The Y N has the linebacker in. He comes all the way around. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I'm joined alongside the great Mike Wall, former NFL offensive lineman for your Green Bay Packers. Mike, appreciate your time, buddy. How you been doing? Yeah, what's up, Clayton? I'm doing good, man. Good to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can get a few answers here today. You know, we, uh, we've been looking at the tape ourselves. We've been watching your videos. We've been watching other people's takes on, on everything that's kind of happened the last couple games. And, uh, you know, like I was saying offline, seems like everybody's consistent answer is, hey, fire Joe Barry and the problem's fixed. Um, I think it goes a little deeper than that, although I would agree Barry's probably probably going to be done in Green Bay, I would imagine. You hate to see anybody lose their job, but, mm-hmm. man, that last performance was rough. But before we get into it, Mike, I got a little, little something here for you. I want to take a walk down memory lane, if that's all right with you. We got some sure. – oh, we got some gritty tape right here, but this is uh, this is hideous. I mean, it's uh, – if you can make out what we're actually looking at here, this is actually week one of the 2002 season. I think we're playing the Falcons, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, overtime I remember this game. Game. yeah. So this was, uh, this was your fourth year in the league. Am I thinking right? Mm, yep. Cool. All right. So look right here, guys, for those of you watching on YouTube and on Twitter, I want you to key in right here. Nice little gasher on the left side. We'll go in slow motion. Look at our boy 68 on this play. You out there still on the edge. I'm on low count. Is that a counter run? Is that what that was, Mike? No, that was just like a belly. Uh, we used to run like it's called 94 Ghost, and it was just a little belly play. And you know, basically on the belly play, you're reading the the running backs reading. I think on this one, he's reading three technique down to the shade. <clears throat> so he sees the hole, and I got my I got my hat play side on the shade, but I'm starting to get him turned right there. You can see just past the line of scrimmage. So, when, so what, as soon as you get his shoulder blade, shoulder pads turned to, to, to the sideline, 
easy cut for Armand to go backside out the gate. Got you. Better late than never. You got it under control by the time he got there for sure. I uh, love it. This next play, though, this one really cracked me up as we let this one finish out here. I need to ask you if Brett got a half a pancake for this next play. You may remember it. I don't know. And uh, dr driver there at the end, my God, what a block. That was beautiful. But watch this right here. Did you guys key in on our boy Mike here at left guard, all right? Brett's going to run out of time. At this point, I imagine you're going, Brett, Brett, throw the damn ball, Brett. <laughs> but look at this. Mike, you got a little bit of help there, didn't you, man? <laughs> no, he actually screwed me over here. Uh so, so Brett is you know kind of the, this is the Falcons were one of the first teams to run a three four, so they're running this three four with that five technique coming down. So he does a good job. I, I set my hips right here, but he reaches over my shoulder. I remember this play really well and uh, grabs Brett's jersey with his uh, with his right arm. And I I felt Brett right there, and I just thought like drive, just drive, 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 drive. So I started started <laughs> running my feet and ended up putting him on his back and rolling over him. How Brett didn't go down right here, who knows, man? Just athletic play by him. But yeah, yeah. I, I would I would say that uh this is one of those that like you like the way it finished and and you know, I'm not too upset about it, but you never want you never want the quarterback to get even touched. So right. What I wanted to ask you about, Mike, was it, it kind of looks like you just go limp here and put every ounce of your weight on him right there. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah, I don't think too much about that stuff. I was literally just running my back then. It's like run your feet, run your feet, run your feet. And you got to remember back in the day, like we took a lot of pride in putting people on their backs. Absolutely. So I remember, I remember coming into this game and we'd played them a year before. And uh, I remember coming to this game and they were like, Hey, watch out because they knew I was, I was looking to put you over a pile whenever I could. And that's what we really wanted. I wanted those guys to be thinking about, you know, getting worried about me putting them on their backs more so than trying to get to Brad or trying to get to Amon. Got it. Love it. And this play here, obviously, you're pulling play side. So I imagine this is power. What would you call this play out of the I formation you're pulling across? Yeah, so this is just a power play. Uh, mm -hmm. This is just straight This is straight 96 power. This isn't power load with JB in there. So this yeah. is just a power play. We kick out of the fullback on the, on the outside linebacker. I lead up through. You can see the tight end gets turned a little bit, so I got to jump around the tight end's block here, and I end up getting on Keith Brooking here late. Yeah. And uh, yeah, AG's out. Do a great job. It really, the guy who makes the play there, if you go back, is Javon Walker. Javon Walker does a good job cracking. And you just see the way that some safeties fit in. Um, I think the safety does a good job of fitting in here on with Javon, but Javon does a good job of running through the block here and really kind of makes this thing open up on the outside. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even notice that originally. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's really, that's really the play of the day right there. As far as, as far as what's, how, why this play works, it's really because of Javon. Yeah, this was my play of the day right here at the very end because you'll see 68 flash back onto the screen and absolutely annihilate the old the old man Marco Rivera right here. And I want to know what you said to him. Look, look at it looks like you get up and you smack him in the mouth right here, Mike. Look at you all fired up. <laughs> yeah, man, we're just having a good time playing football. Heck yeah, dude. I love to see it. Love to see it. And then of course here was finishing off a drive. I don't think you got any end zone on this play. I think it was the very next play, but again, just you guys, man, were a powerhouse. I think y'all rushed for over 200 yards in this game, if I remember correctly. But. Yeah, this was, you know, we ended up winning this game on the, one of the last-minute plays. I can't remember if it was quarterback sneak or Amon coming around on a 99G lead. But uh, you know, this was really, if you know, people don't remember this, but this is really Mike Vick's coming out party, man. He was doing some things in this game that nobody could believe. I love it. And, and it, you'll see at the very end, if you guys will key in over here on this part of the screen, you're going to see a body go flying. And that's right, it was 68 that come through and gave him a little shove there, put him on his keister. Got to miss those days, man. I miss it. Sometimes, you know, as football advances, Mike, it gets a little more – I don't want to say technical, obviously. I don't think that's the right way to say it. It's but soft. It's soft. 
It's a it soccer is. game now. I'll, be, it I'll put it to you this way. I was playing in Miami. I was actually telling somebody, somebody just reminded me of this story. When, so they were introduced to me. I was going to do some skill development stuff. And um, I was working at the building and I'd been there for a couple of years, but you know, I looked like this. I wasn't big anymore. And you know, people were going like, okay, we know he played. He was pretty good, blah, 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 blah. And so one of my buddies uh, that, you know, one of the coaching staff, he, he pulled a film of, I was playing in Green Bay, like 2004, 2003, whatever. And I, I was playing like Jacksonville and it was Philly. Sorry. And I had like, I had like 12 knockdowns that game. I mean, I'm putting people on there, you know, it was, it was Jeremiah Trotter and all those guys and we, you know, Dawkins, like studs, right. Corey Simon, all those guys, Darwin Ham. And uh, I remember all the all offensive linemen happened to be in this meeting. And they were like, Hey, just so you know, like, who's who's talking next this is what this is how he used to play and i remember the offensive linemen were like they couldn't not only believe that was me but it, they were more of like oh people actually did play like that 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 wasn't a that wasn't some sort of like made up thing would you guys actually say it was it was a really really physical game we finished through the floor and we finished <laughs> through the whistle you guys actually did that like it wasn't a joke these days kids don't see it the same way it's so true. It's so true. I just remember, and as I was watching that, it was about a 30 minute highlight reel. And I just, I had a few minutes to kill. I'm like, let's go, what, let's watch every highlight from this game. There was, I mean, there was multiple people leaving the field. It seemed like every drive, I mean, there were some hits. I know Driver had to leave at one point. I think Amon got his midsection banged up at one point. I mean, you guys were different. That's when I fell in love with the sport. There's no doubt about it. Still love it to this day, but just a different ball game back then. No doubt. Um, Speaking of different ball game, the last time we spoke, um, you know, it's been kind of an up and down season. And, you know, here lately we got this, these last two games. The defenses look really, really bad, obviously. It's, I think it, I feel very comfortable saying they've regressed. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, I know I watched your tape, your, your film breakdown, and you were kind of highlighting some of the miscommunications on the field. Um, other people were doing that as well. I know uh, Dan Orlowski broke down a video in which I took, I went back and broke down the same video and just kind of looked at it going, you know, why is Quay standing in the middle of the field with no one around? And, and now that we're here to bash players, that's not the point, obviously. But what do you think is the big problem? I know there's not just one answer, Mike. This, hey, this fixes the issue. But what do you think? It, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind with this defense, how they played the last two games? Well, I don't think it's the last two games. I don't think anything's changed during the entire season. I, what happens in on defense is you can have really good individual performances that change the complexion of the game. And you watch like the Lions game, for example, and you know, got through the ball over the yard. But you, you sometimes you throw the ball over the yard when you're going to uh, when you when you're down a ton. So you those are kind of throwaway numbers. You know what I mean? They're, it's 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 uh, it's filling. It doesn't really mean anything. But when you watch that game, you watch how we were in the first quarter and how Dom and they ran the ball, you know, decently as far as they had some breakout runs. But we're playing on their side of the line of scrimmage for most of the most of the first and second quarter. And it's like, why was that happening? Well, really, the defensive line took it upon themselves to beat their, you know, beat their individual matchups like they were winning their one v one matchups. And uh, when that happens and, and then when you have Isaiah McDuffie in, in the run game, who's always trying to play on their side of the line of scrimmage anyways. Like those things start to happen and everybody like you feed off that energy. Right. So what I, what I see with this team and what we continue to see week in, week out is it's always the same thing. It's like you're, you're catching a lot at the second level. Um, your run fits are very poor. Safety's coming down. We missed a lot of tackles and you can have some guys win individually up front, whether it's just Preston, whether it's Rashawn, whether it's Kenny, whether it's TJ Slayton from time to time. But <clears throat> for whatever reason, it's like somebody has to make an outstanding play 
in order for the play to go well. It's not just like I have a I have a tape from Carolina that I'm, I'm going to do tomorrow. And I just put on their clinic tape because their defense is actually really good. They just play for a bad team. And they're safe, like the run fit, like we just showed with uh, with uh, Javon and how he fit up on that that wide receiver. I have the opposite of everybody's in their gap. Linebackers are attacking the line of scrimmage. Their safety comes down. I think it's Von Bell comes down and just same foot, same shoulders. The wide receiver is trying to crack him, fits into the hole and makes the tackle. Like it's it works exactly how it's supposed to work. Every gap's filled. We don't have that a lot in Green Bay, and that's you know that's the problem in the run game. And then Clayton, you know, you talk about the passing game. It's it's it really all is it's it's all about. Um, it's all about the play calls that they make as far as are we going to be satisfied to to have a six-yard cushion on a three-yard, you know, third and three. And then the communication on multiple levels, you know, but you it started out a lot at the linebacker level, communications with linebackers in the safety, communication with linebacker and linebacker. But on really on every level, you have communication issues and you just can't have that at this point in the season, regardless of who's on the field. Like this is... This is a, you know, a lot of the basics of football are being overlooked. Let's put it that way. Got it. I mean, it, that's got to be, it's got to be how, how it's being taught, right? I mean, that's not just something that every player on that. I don't say every player, but the majority of the players on that defense are kind of showing that on tape. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got, it's got to be. Is it a culture thing? What do you think? What do you think it? Because yeah, I know you, we've talked in the past. You've talked about like fundamentals, and you just, you know, early in the season you didn't see the fundamentals. It's like, what are we, what are we doing over there? Yeah, and you still don't. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's, is it being taught? Like, that's such a, that's, it's such a difficult question because you, I've been in rooms, I, I've been in with, with players where like the guy can't, you know, if, if a guy can't consume, and this, this is nobody on the Green Bay Packers. So let's just have a right. hypothetical situation. Yeah. If you have a, a player that can't consume more than five concepts and you're trying to fill his brain with 15 concepts, it's not his fault. It's your fault. You're a bad coach because you you have an identity. It's not like it's not um, you're failing because you're not doing what I want. It's I'm failing because I'm not I'm not giving you what you need to be successful. Conversely, if these are day one insults, because the thing that like Matt Lafleur had something in his, in his press conference that really kind of hit my ear. And they were asking about Joe Barry, and he says, "Well, we're we're missing day one things." Right, and I went. I went, okay, well, if you're missing day one things, that's on the players. Because if the players are missing tackles, if the players are not run fitting properly, if the players are having communication on like base defense, that's not a coaching thing anymore because you're professional athletes. This isn't five-year-old, you know, junior all-American football. If you're a professional athlete and you're missing calls and you, and you're missing tackles and you're looking like a fool and your communications problem, you have you might have a locker room problem because of the communication issue. Like in other words, like linebackers and safeties aren't talking to one another. But if you're missing, like if you're making mental errors on base defense stuff and you're not making tackles and you're not fitting in the run game, that's on you, man. I mean, that's it's it's as simple as as it can be. You get paid a ton of money to play a sport for a living. Like put in some extra time. You never heard like I've never I, I don't think Ray Lewis was the greatest linebacker ever, like most people do, but I think he was an amazing player. But the one thing you can't ever deny about Ray Lewis is Ray Lewis was never unprepared. And he yeah. talks about how much film he watched and him and Ed would sit there and watch film after hours and hours. Lofa Tatupu was one of the guys that I played with in Seattle. He had a whole room dedicated to watch him. He'd just go home and watch film all day. I had a, I had a basement in Green Bay. I'd go home and watch film all day. So it's like, if you're not ready to go, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, it, 
in, in some in some instances, Matt Lafleur is right. Like if it's day one insult, and you don't get it, man. That's on you. That's not anybody else. Right. You know, it's like that quad look. They came out with a quad right look. They motion over to the left. You know, typically, if you're playing a cover three or a quarters coverage, you're, you're, the principle is obviously you want to try to stay plus one unless you're playing catch man. So if you're you're looking to play plus one on the three side, you're looking to create a box on the two side. You're looking to create a triangle. And and I won't say the player specifically because that's not the goal here is to call people out. But you know, you see you see them sit in the middle of the field with no one within eight yards of them, and I'm like. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I have a hard time believing the defensive coordinator saying, hey, listen, I don't care what happens. You just sit right there in the middle of the field and don't react. That was like mind-blowing to me. And when you, you mentioned Ray Lewis, it's funny you said that because I said that very name the other day. I'm like, show me the tape where Ray Lewis is standing in the middle of the field and refusing to initiate any kind of contact, make a break on the ball, make a break on the play at all, knowing that on one side of the field you've got three receivers. On, and, and not only did you have three receivers on that side of the field and only two guys to cover, you're sitting in the middle of the field – and your, your eyes go to the inside slot on the opposite side where someone's playing inside technique, passing them to the safety. It's just, I don't know, man. It just seems, I want to say situational, but it's in almost every situation. Yeah, that's systemic. that's systemic, not situational. And I think the play you're talking about, I believe I believe that Devondre actually was yelling at Quay to come over to the middle because he was the mismatch, right? He, he was on Godwin. But, that's actually a separate play, but that's another oh, okay. example of what we're talking about, though, the miscommunication and everything. Because yeah. if you bring up miscommunication, people immediately – and I say people, I shouldn't say it loosely, but a certain group of fans will go, there you go covering for Joe Barry again, blaming it on the players. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it, it goes all the way to the top. Like, it's his it's his responsibility, too, to make sure they're communicating. I get that. But at some point, you gotta you got to look at the players like you were just saying and be like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? Okay, so, so I'll, I'll say it this way then. Because ultimately, it is the coach's responsibility. And uh, we're not talking about anybody specific here, but let's just make a general statement. If you're, if you're a coach, and like, man, I've been, on, I've been around some bad staffs with like bad <laughs> leadership. I'm just telling you. But if you're a coach and your guys aren't getting the job done and it's week, what is it, week 12, week 13? Okay. Yeah. And they're, it's basic stuff. Then – you have to start asking questions. This doesn't the, the Green Bay Packers don't have an owner. This isn't Jerry Jones saying like you have to play that guy, right? right? 
And I think there's probably some of that as far as I, you know, I don't know how that works up there with, with, with Mark and Goody. And I, I don't know, but and there's obviously some, there's some, some people who have a longer leash than others because of where they were drafted or free agents or whatever. That's, I mean, that's Absolutely. how the world works. Right. But if you're in a, if you're in a, if you're leading a room, if you're a position coach and your guys don't um, understand conceptually what's supposed to go on, if they're not able to communicate, if it's, or, and if it's something that they're not improving on there and it shows that it's demonstrated through their preparation that they're not trying to improve at the level that is required, then if you're playing them, then it, it, it all goes back right to you. So when, you know, when I say it's like on the players for some of this stuff, it is in, at the individual level. Like you have to hold yourself personally accountable, but the coaches have to have the freedom to be like, Oh, you're not doing the job that like I'll lose. I'll, I'll lose with the guy who's trying to do it right. It's not athletic enough, but I'm not going to lose with the, with the guy who's got, you know, was, was, was born with, you know, all the athletic ability is not going to pay attention in meetings. So, and I don't know if that's the case at all. I'm right, just right. telling you conceptually, like I, I think the proper way to think about this, or at least one, one way to think about this when you're dealing with things that are um, not focused around talent, but are focused around preparation. Got it. You know, that's one of the other big things that gets mentioned a lot is, you know, how, how do you not have a, a, top defense when you've got so many first round picks invested into this defense. I mean, just because someone's a first round pick doesn't make them a slam dunk dog of a player. Right. I mean, you know, not, and, and on top of that, you don't even, you don't even have some of those players on the field because of injuries too. We kind of bypass that a bit. I guess what I'm trying to get at is for everyone who's kind of gotten their mind, we bring in a new DC, everything gets fixed just magically because we've already got all the great players here. Am, am I wrong for not buying into that? Am I missing something there? Um, it's, I don't know that everything's fixed. I mean, certainly you can bring in another bad guy, right? Okay. I mean, like, the thing about like the thing about when Joe Barry got hired, I think more than a few people looked at his record. I think it was in Detroit and you're like, well, what's he getting? What's, what's this based on? Right. Is he a great interviewer? I, Cause I, the numbers weren't there. Right. Right. So, and there's a lot of good young talent out there. There's a lot of old guys that can coach. I mean, it's, it's, there, it seems like they have there's high school there's high school coaches in the United States that are miles better than professional coaches miles better at developing talent than professional coaches they just didn't get their opportunities and so right. one of my biggest messages to coaches when I when I do like a, a speaking engagement or something is like don't think that because they had an opportunity that you weren't allowed that they're better than you they just they just wow. have they just because it's not I've I, the best coaches I've ever seen in my life the two best practices I've ever been to in my life are both high school football coaches, Centennial Corona high school and Bellevue high school. And it's not even close. The attention to detail, the discipline, lack of the focus, everything. So I guess my point to you would be, uh, I agree that you don't have that just because you're a first round pick doesn't, you know, Jamal Reynolds was the 10th pick in the draft, as I recall, um, you know, for the Green Bay Packers years ago. Right. And Lucas Van Ness is the 13th pick in the draft, and he could turn out to be a great player, but a 13th pick in the draft should be a starter for you right now, and he's not. I agree. Um, when you look at when you look at the talent that they have, Quay Walker last year was a first round pick, but you know, and he does a lot of good things well, but he has a really hard time taking up blocks. He could be an elite level athlete and not be a an effective run defender in a in a in a run heavy NFC North because he can't take on blocks. That's a problem. So it's 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 about how you value talent and what attributes you value when you bring them in, but you but regardless of they're here now, right. and and you have to what what has always been confusing with with this team, and I think Matt Lafleur to his credit has done a really good job of putting people in situations to be successful on offense, but when yeah. you look at the culture of this team, you know 
for the last three, four years, if you're always having the same problems, always having the same problems, then it's not a uh, it's not an individual issue. It becomes an organizational issue, a culture issue. And then you have to start looking at, OK, what what are our priorities as far as developing the athletes in this building? And are we doing a good job of that? I, I think all signs right now point to there's probably some work to be done. Yeah, I agree. Um, when you when you were talking just now about, OK, you know, does he interview well, he being Barry, this and that. The first thing that came to mind for me was, well, we were we were focused on quarters coverage. We were focused on Fangio's scheme. That's what and it goes right back to the conversation we had over a month ago when it was scheme. There's nothing that scheme can't fix. I don't know that just irked the hell out of you when that was said at the press conference. Right. Um, it just seems like that is the culture you've created. And I agree with what you're saying with, with coach LaFleur on the offensive side of the ball, especially in the passing game, his scheme in the passing game is really impressive. I thought he's been, it's been really, really well. You know, if Jordan had been a little more accurate early in the year, I think their offense would probably be in a little bit better shape, you know, sooner. Um, I like what they're doing on offense. I'm just trying to get my mind around, you know, what kind of defensive mind do you, do you bring in? You know, some people were saying, that if the New York Giants staff gets canned, you could bring in Wink Martindale. On the surface, I like that hire. Wink's been around for a while. I don't think he'll get a head coaching offer. I could be wrong. Um, Although some people were predicting there may be as many as 10 new head coaches in the league this year. That seems a little high, but according to averages, that's what, that's what they're projecting. If you got someone like Wink, I know, uh, you know, in Carolina, I know I'm going to screw the name up. Is it, it, is it, is Jairo? How do you say his name? That, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Whatever. Uh, That's yeah, another yeah. one that keeps getting thrown around because you just said, you know, they've got a great defense. They're just on a bad team. Right. I, I can't imagine he's going anywhere, though. He's 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 pretty good. Keep him. Yeah. yeah. So if they if they do, uh, you know, obviously bring in a new head coach there in Carolina, he stays the D.C. Um, the only way that he'll get a job is if he gets promoted to uh, or gets a head coaching offer, too. Right. So assistant, so um, you get a assistant head coaching job, be the D.C. plus the assistant head coach. That would be the next step. Like the yeah. only other, I guess like midpoint between that and a head coaching job. There's some good guys out there, but it's so based on our conversation, then you have to start going, okay, well, uh, and I think, you know, I don't know how involved coach the floor is on the defensive side. Obviously he has to sign off on everything they're doing at some level, right? right? Cause it's his, he's, right. you know, he's culpable. So, you know, based on what I'm talking about, based on what we've, what we've seen over the last couple of years, and we could talk about offensively or defensively. If you want to talk offense, this, you know, if Jordan Love's footwork was better, they'd they'd probably be a 10-win football team right now. It's just it is what it is. And and he's got a lot listen, he's gotten a lot better. And and I'm not Absolutely. I'm not putting him down. I'm just telling you, if your footwork is better, you'd be a 10-win football team because you your completion percentage would be much higher. And all these, you know, good things happen when you throw the ball to people balls that people can catch. So there's this all of this stuff stems from the same thing, tackling. Fundamental footwork, you know the o, the O line, and and how they've taken a step back in a lot of ways. All of this stuff is um, in individual rooms might look like it's by itself, but when you t- in the totality of it, it's you know organizationally you have to look at what are we prioritizing? How do we prioritize developing these athletes? What are we doing during the day? How do we communicate? Like culture is uh, largely based on the actions that you take. Um, but it's also about the transparency and, and the and the openness in which you communicate your intentions with the people around you, right? So if this stuff is convoluted in any way, if we're just putting signs up on the wall that say the standard is the standard, like everyone's favorite, the standard is the standard. Okay, great. So if you put that on the wall, it's like, oh, we're done with culture because I put it right there. Like the way you, you the way that you address 
in detail, the way you the way you simplify, you know, difficult concepts into simple, simple uh, executable routines that people can can upload, intake, and practice on their own. Like all of this stuff that you need to do to really be great, um, you have to just reset. I think at the end of the season, if you're head the head coach and go, am I am I doing this the right way? Am I doing this? The way that I mean, I might be doing it the way that Sean McVay did it. I might be doing it the way that Shanahan did. Is it is it work for me? Does it work for my personality and the way that I go about business? Am I addressing the defensive side the way it works for me? And I don't, you know, I think those are always the really t- difficult situation or conversations, and they have to happen at that level, not necessarily just who. Like it doesn't matter who you bring in at DC, right? If if this if this communication or, or this these level of expectations are not set and met, got it. Got it. You know, the other thing, too, that comes to mind, you're talking about the players. You know, you're a professional athlete. You, you've got to take ownership of it. You've got to take responsibility for it. I'm sure you when you think back on the offensive lines you played on, as well as just the teams in general, you can probably think right off the bat of one, two, maybe three players that they held their teammates accountable. They were kind of the leader in the locker room. Like, hey, look, we're we are not OK with being mediocre. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. Am, am I wrong for feeling like from the outside looking in, obviously not being in the building, not being in the meeting rooms, not being in the practice, the grind, sweat, tears, the training camp, all that. It, it just feels like that's lacking a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Like I, if someone were to ask me that guy right there, that is your leader on defense. The first person that comes to mind is Rashawn Gary, just because he kind of leads by example. It seems that way anyway. But when you talk about, the inside linebackers back to the secondary. I mean, we talked about trading Rasul Douglas. It was just like, that was mind boggling to me. And it was kind of a, okay, we're going to punt for two years now and then focus on competing in 2025. That's got to send a message to the locker room too. And I know when we talked about it, Mike, with the whole Rasul thing, it was, you know, this, this is probably going to hurt the locker room a bit. He's your emotional leader. He's arguably the best DB in your, in your DB room, right in the secondary, you could see him getting fiery on the field when people were miscommunicating, when they were blowing coverages, all those things. And now it just doesn't feel like you have that guy on this defense. They win a couple games after the trade and people were, you know, doing their victory laps. I thought this was going to destroy the culture. And now you see this stuff with Ja. We don't know the truth behind the scenes. You see the defense just come kind of imploding here of lately. Do you think that Rasul trade has anything to do with it from a player's perspective? Do you think anyone in that locker room is looking up and going, yeah, I mean, what what are we even doing here? You can't speak factually here because I'm not in that locker room, but certainly the all implications are that trading Rasul, you you lost a leader um, in, in a place that really needs leadership. Uh, and we don't know to what extent that was true. We don't know how that was in, in, from a preparation standpoint, how he is on the practice field, how he is in the meeting rooms, how he is in the locker room. Um, all those things matter. When I was when I, when I was drafted, you walked into that locker room, and it was like, you know, you, Brett was the three-time MVP, but, you know, he's not – I don't know that he was the leader. You know, right. you had Chewy, you had Frankie, you know, but you had Roy Butler, and you had Reggie. And you had Santana, and you had Gilbert, and you had Nardo, and you, you, I mean, but that defense, and that was a top defense back. In the, that was the last year they were like ridiculous good, right? I think Reggie led the league in sacks. I mean, it, yeah. And, and I just remember going like, like, oh, they were so like the they were so confident in themselves. So the way that they went about business, there was no tough guy stuff. There was, and there was no social media. Like these guys are dealing with so much more than we were ever had to deal with. Right. But it was just we were gonna self policing was a real thing. And and having and having high expectations and the way you talk to one another, it was just a real thing. You, could, you know, 
you didn't have to be a tough guy because you're always prepared. You can just go out, have fun, kick ass, you know, talk, you talk, you know, smack with your friends and, and just have fun being really good. And nowadays, that's like as as the brand individual brands continue to build on social media and all the other stuff that ex- ancillary things that come along with being a pro athlete happen. That leadership is going to be less and less and less. As more cameras are allowed in the locker room, the less you're going to be able to experience that part of it. I is is my guess. But again, it doesn't mean that it's that it's null and void anymore. It's probably more important than it ever was because of those things. And you have to have people that are willing to have uncomfortable conversations, pull you aside. Right. And, and I can pull you aside and go, Hey, look, this, it doesn't fly. If, if we're not practicing. Hard. And the thing that the, the, the thing that I always look at, if you're, if I go to a, if I go to an NFL team and I, and I just want to go watch practice and I want to see how hard the offensive defensive line, the box players are playing against one another because they're going to be physical. The, the DBs and, and one-on-one drills and everything, they can play hard, but they're not going to be physical for the most part. Some guys are. But the, I want to see how the box players are. And then I, this is what I miss. Mike Flanagan used to spend half the practice. And we all did, but Mike was like the leader of it. He would just sit and talk trash to the defensive line coach and linebackers coach. He would just <laughs> talk to him the whole practice. And we would just keep going. I mean, every day, because every day it was a competition. And right. that part of the of the of football doesn't have to change just because you can't wear full pads every day, but it has changed. We've used it as an excuse to become a little bit. You, you, you pick the word than what we used to be. Yeah, definitely. You know, I immediately made me think of a story that I heard about the new England Patriots there in the early two thousands, when they, when they got rid of Ty law and they bring in Rodney Harrison and they said it was like one of the first training camp practices. Rodney Harrison was in the building and he caused a fight in practice immediately and he was just jawing with Brady the entire time. And they were going back and forth, back and forth. And they said when the fight started, you could look over to the side and see Belichick just grinning. Like he knew what was taking place. Yeah. They're raising each other's game, right? Um, it's got so important. Culture is just – it's the biggest thing that's overlooked. And it gets – like you said, it gets tossed around so much. Like you put a sign on the wall, slap it on the wall. All right, we got a culture. It's just it's wild. Me being the, the out of shape – older person that I am now for my couch saying y'all need culture. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, it's, it's the hard part about like the fun part about sports. um, I think from a fan's perspective, like I, I, you know, you got to remember, like I've never really experienced football as a fan. Right. I've just always played and I was an ex player. So when I look at things, I look at film and I I just want to know how to beat people. I want to, I want to understand how to break you down. I want to understand how to build the, how to build a team, but Fans are emotional. Like they don't, you know, a lot of fans right. don't care about that. They don't care. They don't know. They don't want to know why you didn't throw the touchdown. They just mad. Right. They just want to be able to say great. We threw it or, 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 or bad. We didn't. And it's so it's, it's, it makes the game go. And, you know, I, I, like I can empathize with that, but right. there's, this is such a complex organism. Like a team is such a complex organism and there's so many things that go into it. And there's, and there's so many things that the, like the differentiators in success it might be something you're not even thinking about. It might be something you pick up on tape. It might be a shoulder shrug. It might be body language. It might be something to, you know, clap back at a specific coach, but you got to, all that stuff matters, mm-hmm. right? Or, or I should say all that stuff could actually matter or the way the teammates to address each other on the sidelines, like all that stuff matters. And so when you're a, when you're in a, a position of leadership, what you're always trying to do is you're trying to get like 
53 of the baddest dudes that feel like they've earned the right to be the baddest versions of themselves, like the biggest, baddest dudes they could possibly be because they've, they've earned it. And then everything else kind of falls in place. Like you never see a team that just got a bunch of dudes are like, we all grind as hard as we can to be the best we can. And they're not a bunch of badass dudes. man. They're, they're not a great team. You never right. see that. And we try to find these shortcuts with everything else, but like, and I'm oversimplifying it, but right. for me, it's always like, it's such an easy, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's such a simple answer to go out, prepare everybody else in every facet of the, that you can control everything you can control. Don't worry about anything else. Drown out the noise. Success brings fame. Success brings money. Success brings contracts. Success brings ancillary things. Don't worry about any of that. Just go focus on being the best version of you. And life tends to work out. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, let's shift gears to the offensive line. I always like to get your – there ain't no way you're coming on this pod and, and I'm not going to ask you about the offensive line. It's just not going to happen. I know we had a conversation about Rasheed Walker earlier in the year. Um, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember that conversation correctly, you liked his feet. You said he had good footwork. I remember you initially saying that, if I remember correctly. Um, not just Rasheed, but this offensive line as a whole. How would you grade them, not with necessarily a letter grade, but just left to right with your starting offensive line? How do we feel about this offensive line moving forward? Because obviously, I think we would all agree, Bakhtiari's future is very much so up in the air. It's going to depend on the knee. It's going to contend on contractual things, obviously. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this offensive line on the surface, Mike? If I thought that next season – like if I look at the, if I look at the offense – and I see what the receivers are capable of, and I see what Jaden Reed's brought and Dontavian Wicks has brought to the offense, and I can close my eyes and see if a, you know if Christian Watson can ever stay healthy, what he might look like, and Romeo Dobbs, what he adds, and if I can close my eyes and see what Luke Musgrave will look like next season and, and how Tucker Crafts evolved this year and what he's becoming a big part. And, you know, can Aaron Jones – can we find a running mate with Aaron Jones that can average four yards a carry, you know, whether it's right. AJ or somebody else? I start looking around at that offense and what they're capable of. Jordan Love takes another, you know, takes another bite out of the apple next year and, be, and becomes a, a more complete player with his footwork and pre-snap recognition. I would say, you know, 74 and 50, man, you're going to be here for a long time. I'm going to tie you up right now. And everybody else is on, uh, you know, on the table. Got it. That makes sense. Makes complete sense. Now, if you, you like that. Sean Ryan or you like John Rennie Jr., I, I don't care. Like you can pick one. It doesn't matter to me. Like they're, you know, right, right. I, I I get the conversation. I think it's fun. Rasheed mm-hmm. Walker, Josh Nyman, I don't, fine. You want to go find for, the number one thing is either, and Josh Myers has played better, mm-hmm. but you either go find an absolute unit at center, a guy who like, like a Charles Bentley, arrogant, stronger than you, better than you, loud, makes calls, finishes through the whistle. You, you go find that guy to lead that team because they need a leader. Or you go find the most talented, pass-protecting, run-blocking left tackle you can find, and you just open you open the vault and you just pay one of those guys. That's that's me. Got it. Makes sense. So reading between the lines there, or really you just said it, two guys, Zach Tom, Elton Jenkins, that's who you're building this offensive line around, right? That's, got, that's got it. Good stuff. Um, something else I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. You know, with kind of the state of the team, this will be the final question. I want to respect your time. I really appreciate you jumping on with us. Um, 
when you look at kind of the the state of this team right now, they got a slight chance, a very, very slight chance of making the playoffs, obviously. When Ray Rhodes took over in Green Bay, if I remember correctly, you were in your second year, I think. Is that right? Yep. So, obviously, you bring in Mike Sherman and things kind of immediately shift. Did you did you notice? I mean, because I think the next game, the next year, y'all went ten wins, I believe, if I remember correctly, ten or twelve wins. Um, mm, anyway, you went ten, you were, probably ten. Yeah, yeah, I think you went ten, ten, and then twelve, and then ten again, I believe, if I remember correctly. So, anyway, when it comes to kind of you know where the team's at right now, and it looks like things are start starting to kind of cut the corner on the uptick as far as the offensive side of the ball, if the defense, if we can get that straightened out, what do you think would be the biggest step in the right direction? What what is the key element to doing what you guys did coming off of that down year and going okay we really took a step back now we're going to hit this thing running I mean what did my what did what did Mike Sherman do what did Coach Sherman do when he came in that just changed things as opposed to I know Ray Rhodes was kind of put in a tough situation I think we would all agree with that yeah but, I, thought, uh, I thought Ray you know Ray got screwed up. not Ray was put in a tough situation and. You know, I remember very specifically, I, I can't, I don't want to name names because I can't remember exactly who it was, but somebody got in trouble with like a driving incident or something. And we got, there was like a little, there's like something later on in the year and we're kind of going like, well, that's it. You know, it, you know, it's just guys are getting a little bit out of control. And, and, and um, Ray was a guy that let people, he was going to let adults be adults. Right. And that doesn't always work. Right. You know, for, for in every aspect. Oh, hey, you're grown men. I'm gonna let you be grown men, and everybody loves that, right? Everybody loves that Absolutely. until until it's not you're not winning. You know, it's like, oh, maybe I need a little bit more like discipline. Maybe I need you need to build a little house around me and tell me what to do. A little, you know, I I need a better routine. I need to be, and I need people to help me do this. And so what what Mike did was Mike is like a lawyer. Like you ever talk to Mike? Like you really got to watch what you say. Because Michael like takes he'll take a sentence and like pick you apart. So he's like got a lawyer mentality. And so with Mike, it was he was he had a very clear vision of what he wanted to do. He'd been with Holmgren for years and years. He had, you know, he was coming from Seattle after they had been gone for that one season. And uh he has he has a great offensive line. He was an offensive line coach in, in college. He was Mike Flanagan's coach at UCLA. So he he has a very clear understanding of how we're going to build out, you know, you have an MVP quarterback, we're going to, but we're really going to build this out around that offensive line, our, you know, our running back, our running game. And, you know, that's, that was football back then. And so that's what he had a very clear understanding of how that was going to work and what was going to be allowed and what wasn't going to be allowed. I think the biggest thing with Mike is there was a level of, of uh, routine check and discipline that was not there the year prior. And you felt it immediately uh, as far as, as far as how expectations were set again, transparent, clear, concise communication with, with your, with your athletes on what was, what the standard was, what was expected and how we we're going to carry it out. Uh, there wasn't any like magic poster or anything, but I think you get rid of a couple of people in the locker room, you bring some different people in and you have that message. And I think it makes a big difference. So when you're, when you're talking about Clayton, like what's the difference between next year and this year, you're not going to get like uh, Matt LaFleur is not, you know, being replaced. But he's right. probably going to replace a big part of his uh, uh, defensive unit. You know, I, I'm guessing. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, or, but so, but I think what what Matt has to do, you know, if I'm sitting in Matt Lafleur's, if I'm his, if I'm his counsel, I'm like, right after the season, I'm going to kick everybody in this building out of your room, including you know, including myself. 
everybody out of the room because everybody has a vested interest in, in, in making sure that you understand what's right in the context of how it benefits them. And I'm going to go find whoever my trusted confidant is. So if I have a mentor, do I have a, is it my wife? Who is it? But we're going to sit down and we're going to break down the way that I've been communicating with my coaching staff and the demands that I've been put on my coaching staff on how they're handling these players. Because the, the thing that keeps popping up to me is, uh, and, and is a lack of technical mastery. And now we're getting into communication, run fit, basic, you know, basic fundamental, be the best at the basics idea. We are not there and we haven't been there for years. And Brett glossed over a lot or painted over a lot of it, but we are, excuse me, not Brett, Aaron painted over a lot of it, but right. we don't have that. And we need to, we need to be the best at the basics of the sport. And what am I doing not only with the players, but with my coaching staff, how am I setting that standard and, and level of detail with my staff and communicating with them uh, the expectations of execution and preparation on a daily basis so that we can empower them to really develop these highly trained athletes? Got it. And the two words that are popping in my mind as you were explaining all that. Vision and structure. You know, where, where are we going? What, where, what are we doing? What's the plan and how are we getting there, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook, you know, you go all the way back to the old days of Bill Parcells. He had a personal coach. He had a mentor that he leaned on. You know, I don't think anybody know, you know, Bill Belichick had had a couple in his life while he was in New England. Right. One was his dad before he passed away, obviously. Yep. And then, of course, he had Ernie Adams right there alongside, uh, you know, with him kind of bouncing ideas off of. I don't know who that guy is for Matt, you know. Um, and maybe there is someone and he ain't going to, you know, obviously come to us and go, hey, guys, here's my person. You know, here's my my coach. But you got to have that mentor. Um, there's no doubt about it. Mike, we're uh, we're glad you're our coach, buddy. We can't thank you enough for the footage you put out, man, and, and breaking down the tape. Every time you go live, I'm listening. Um, I know the listeners absolutely love it when you come on the show. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to do it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You could be doing anything in the world and uh, you're choosing to to take time to help knuckleheads like me learn a sport at a little bit different level. I don't take a lot. I really don't. I appreciate you. You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure y'all follow him at Mike wall 68 on Twitter. Uh, check his YouTube channel out process to perform doing great stuff over there. Absolutely. Awesome. We're going to get out of here guys. Appreciate y'all making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Yes, a Y end or a tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet. You get an isolation with the with the linebacker. You tell the tackle to take the defensive end if he's over him. If he's not, to drive down on the first man to his inside. Y end has the linebacker taken out. He cuts inside. The Y end has the linebacker here. He comes all the way around. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here. Try to run this play in the alley. 